0: So we're, we're, we're nearing the end of chapter four. We have been discussing the seven ways in which one has to have trust in Hashem, or the seven areas of life in which one must trust in Hashem. Um, we started with the purely physical stuff, like one's health, and then we went to a second category, which is uh, making a living, and then the third is interpersonal relationships. The fourth one was we spoke about uh, mitzvahs that only affect us. The sixth, uh, the fifth one was we, we spoke about mitzvahs that affect others. And then the sixth one was totally spiritual, meaning the reward that one gets in the world to come. And then we got into a whole long uh, discussion about why the reward in the world to come is not explicitly described in Tebirsav. And if you remember, that took us a couple of lessons to go through seven reasons that Rabbeinah Bechai gives us as to why such an important concept in Torah is not explicitly mentioned in Scripture. That's where we left off last class. Okay, so now let's continue. We just finished listing seven reasons Why the reward in the world to come, the spiritual reward, is not explicitly described in scripture. And now let's go into the text. Trusting in Hashem in regard to what He promised the righteous, Concerning reward in this world and the next for their devotion, that He will grant it to those who deserve it, vechain as well as yishalim ha'enish to punish those who deserve it, minhadin alhamaimin. It is incumbent upon the believer. In other words, you have to believe that there is such a thing as reward and punishment. And in fact, as the Neder BaKedush points out, that is one of the Yud Gimel Ikrim, the Rambam tells us that uh, the belief in reward and punishment is one of the 13 tenets or principles of, of Jewish belief. Okay, let's continue here. Ubitcheynei al Now, in regard to this issue, this issue of reward and punishment. It's essential to perfect faith in Hashem. Perfect faith in Hashem must include the belief in reward and punishment. Like it says, He believed in Hashem, and he, Hashem, counted it, reckoned it to him as righteous, as righteousness. V'yomer, and it says, "Lule hermanti betuv Hashem Had I not trusted that I would behold the goodness of Hashem in the land of eternal life, meaning it wouldn't be a good, would not be a good thing if I had not trusted such a thing. Entrusted what thing? Betuv <laughs> Hashem the goodness of Hashem in the land of eternal life, which means the reward in the world to come. Let's continue. A person should not rely on his good conduct and confidently assure himself that he will be rewarded for it here and hereafter. rather, He should be active and vigorous in showing gratitude for the Creator's favors continuously bestowed upon Him. But not out of hope for future reward that will be due to Him for His actions. In other words, you have to believe in reward and punishment, and at the same time, you have to believe that it's not purely tit for tat. In other words, that's sort of the amuna aspect of it, if I may. It doesn't require amunna to believe that there's a system of reward and punishment. Okay, that's not amuna. Amuna is in reference to that which is beyond our ability to understand. Faith begins where intellect fails. Eventually, intellect fails, right? There's an idea that's beyond us, and that's where faith begins. So to say that I have faith that there's reward and punishment, well, it's actually very, fairly logical that there's reward and punishment. The point here is that there's a system of reward and punishment that is beyond what can logically be relied upon. And the reason is that it is disproportionate to what we do, to the extent where we have no reason to expect a reward just by virtue of our work. Okay, We have no reason to expect a reward just because, well, I earned it. Therefore, it requires emune, it requires faith that I believe that there is a reward. Because it's not necessarily quid pro quo, where, you know, this for that, cause and effect. It's something beyond cause and effect. Really, like we are talking about in the previous lesson, if we would really add it all up and crunch the numbers, trust me, you don't want to do that. Because you're not going to come out ahead. There's no version of the accounting where you're going to come out ahead, or any of us are going to come out ahead. So the fact that we end up getting any type of payment any type of reward is by definition something that's in the realm of Amunna. we have faith that hashem ends up rewarding us but not cuz we expect it like like we have a sense of entitlement that he owes it to us okay that's that's the point here and that's where bitachin starts to work itself in because you know it's interesting in the past couple of lessons we we're talking of this whole long discussion about why the reward in the world to come is not in te shiv'sad and it like i it was almost like a like a diversion from the main point. Where, where's the Betochen? Okay, here's the Betochen. The Betochen is now. Having established that we must believe in this reward, we want you to understand it's not we believe in this reward like something that automatically makes sense that it has to be coming to me. It's not like that. No, there's a certain degree of trust that Hashem is gonna do this because. He doesn't, he's, he's really not, um, he's not indebted in any way, shape, or form to do this. Okay, let's, let's continue. In this regard, he should trust in Hashem. After doing his best to repay the debt of gratitude he owes the Creator for his kindness toward him, as our sages say, do not be like the servants who serve their master on condition of receiving a reward. But rather, have be like the servants They serve their master not on condition of receiving a reward. and let the fear of heaven be upon you. So, when we serve Hashem. We're not doing it because we feel like, you know, if you put the money in the vending machine and push the buttons, then you're going to get the candy to drop, because it's not like that. It's gratuitous kindness on Hashem's part, anyways, that He somehow decides that pushing buttons should should equate uh, a candy. So we're certainly not entering this with a sense of. Of entitlement, we understand that it's it's more about a relationship that we're connecting to him, and he's connecting to us, and what he ends up doing for us is disproportionately greater than what we do for him. Um, but it's not like a business relationship anyway. If you reduce it to tit for tat, you know, a business barter, then it doesn't even make sense because the the payoff we receive is so disproportionate. But if you understand that it's not tit for tat, it's not barter, it's, uh, you know, we do what Hashem wants. And then in the end, if, you know, without any expectation on our, on our part, we end up being, being I, you know, I, I, would, I hesitate to even use the word reward here because reward has such connotations of, you know, uh, a return on investment. Which that's not what it is. It's clearly not return on investment because what ends up happening is so you know disproportionate, and uh, you know we're not we're not entitled to it. It's uh, it's gratuitous kindness on Hashem's part. I see a uh, uh, something here. Aren't you supposed to say even though I don't deserve it, you Hashem are b'chased and b'rachem, so you can please help me with? It. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Even though I don't deserve it, but... But here, what are we talking about? We're talking about, uh, you know, we're talking about the reward in the world to come. Shouldn't we always have a munna? Somebody's writing to me privately. No, we should not always have a munna. Of course we should not always have a munna. Now take that one line and make a WhatsApp video of it and send it around. (laughs) <laughs> okay, you say, shouldn't we always have a Because I said before that this is not... What did I say? I mean, I, I agree with that statement, but what did I say that made you ask me, I'm sorry, I'm confused, shouldn't we always have a muna? What did I say? Where intellect fails. Yeah, that's right. That's correct. <sighs> should, we, should we talk about this? I mean, I, I would love to talk about it. It's interesting to me. Um, intellect and faith are two totally separate worlds, and that's why, for instance, when people they try to use intellect to understand that which is fundamentally incomprehensible, it's an inappropriate use of of intellect. You know, when when there's something that's in, that's fundamentally incomprehensible, okay, like a, a paradox which the human mind can't wrap itself around. So. If you try to use intellect, and you tr- or you try to measure that idea based on how much it appeals to intellect, you're measuring it the wrong way. Because it's not that it's you know, illogical, it's just it's not something that conforms to logic. Therefore, it'd be inappropriate to try to use intellect, you have to use faith. Intellect's not the appropriate tool, faith is the appropriate tool, right? Can we agree on that? Can we agree on that idea? That there are ideas that are fundamentally incomprehensible. They are paradoxes that are beyond human comprehension, beyond finite comprehension, and therefore it would be inappropriate to try to use logic or intellect to to, um, encounter these, these ideas. Okay, fine. So you agree with me on that? Well, here's the thing. Just as it is inappropriate and futile, to try to use intellect in the area where only faith can rightly be applied. It is equally, although differently, inappropriate to try to use faith where intellect can be applied. What do I mean by that? There is much regarding Hashem's relationship with us and role as Creator that can be understood. That can be understood. If a person were to say, well, I'm not interested in understanding it because I have faith. That's not faith. That's just laziness. It's intellectual laziness. Faith is not, I don't want to understand. Faith is, I can't understand. Faith is not, well, Warren Buffett said to invest in these stocks. Do you want to know why? Nah, I trust him. It's fine. I have faith. That's not called faith. You could understand if you wanted to sit down and have them explain to you why you should invest in those stocks. You would be, you would be able to understand. You just don't want to use up any time or, or, or bandwidth understanding it because you don't feel it's necessary to understand it. But don't, that's not faith. It's called intellectual laziness. So same thing. Somebody says to you, let's contemplate on Morabah Maisecho, on the, uh, the, the, the abundance of Hashem's creation and how awesome it is and how uh, you know, awe-inspiring it is. And you say, no, let's not contemplate on it. Well, why don't you want to contemplate it? Because I have faith. I know God is great. <laughs> no. You should have faith that God is great on those levels that your intellect cannot reach. That's where you should have faith in Hashem. But on the levels that your intellect can reach, where you can be misbeinen, and you can meditate and reflect on, on Godless abeira, Don't say it's faith. Faith is not uh, appropriate here. Intellect is appropriate. Go meditate. So does that make sense, what we're saying here? Okay. Anyway, apropos to our discussion here, we were saying, Hashem's reward of us is not just something that can be understood logically, because it's not a business relationship. Ultimately, it's His, His, His love of us. And it's his gratuitous kindness. So, if you just look at it like, well, I did this and I'm supposed to get that. Then okay, you're right. Then there is no faith. It's just, it makes sense. But if you understand the nature of Hashem's reward to us, you understand that, of course, it requires faith because it doesn't make sense that, you know, that the return, the return on investment is just so disproportionate. It's just, it's like, you know, you give a guy a uh, hundred bucks and he comes back and he gives you a million bucks, okay? Like Bernie Madoff promised to do for people. Well, the first few people started with him. He did that for him, right? So that that, that at least, that's proportionate. Okay, a million dollars is, what, a hundred thousand times bigger than a hundred? What is it? A million dollars is how many times bigger than a hundred dollars? Ten thousand times bigger? Yeah, I think so. All right, but at least it's proportionate. There's a number for it. But you know, you you, you give a guy a, a bean and he comes back and he gives you a million dollars. It's like that's that's illogical, but, but it's not illogical. In this case we talk about you know Hashem's relationship with us, it's it's beyond logic. It's not logic isn't the metric for it. Okay? Alright, so let's continue here. Right. minach aim it. One of the chsidim, one of the pious people used to say, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar knew a pious person, I don't know if he knew him personally, but he says there was a pious guy who used to say, Nobody earns the reward in the world to come through his deeds. If we're going to be really exact, in accounting what the person owes Hashem for his goodness to him. So if you really want to make an exact accounting, nobody's going to come out in the black. They're all going to be in the red. That's accounting lingo for you. <inaudible> it's only Hashem's kindness. Al <inaudible> Don't trust in your deeds means don't have betochen in your own deeds. Indeed, David Amalek said, regarding this idea, to you, Hashem, is uh, grace. You reward a man according to his work. Meaning here, beyond his work. Disproportionate. So, this is where the betochen comes in. I know it's very hard to remember the whole we went on a real uh, breadcrumb trail, but we were discussing seven areas of life where you need to have talking, And the first few were all material. And then we had a couple that were material, meaning they were physical actions or things you do in while, while a soul in a body in this world, but they affect the spiritual. And then we started talking about the sixth idea, which was completely... Uh, completely spiritual, which is the reward in the world to come. And like, where's the betochen? Enter into it, so now we finally have clarity. The betochen is that after you do what you need to do, don't view it as trading off. Don't view it as, now he owes me. That's not how it works. It's not how it works. I mean... When you learn chassidus, and you learn... I mean, it's not unique chassidus. Shleim Melech said that Shir HaShirim is the mashal for Hashem and the Jewish people. That it's a relationship, it's an intimate relationship. When you learn chassidus especially, you understand it's a real relationship. And, you know, what's a real relationship? What's an intimate relationship? A genuine relationship. Genuine relationship means when there's no economy. You know, a, a, a user relationship is, is, is not genuine. It's false. You're using each other. So, you know, people could be using each other for very, you know, crass things. You know, uh, you know, someone married for money, they're married for looks, whatever. Hanging around with people because they want to up their, you know, because they're, they're a social climber. Okay, those are obvious ways people use each other. But, um, you know, then there's even being a spiritual materialist. I spoke about this in an earlier class, where you're using Hashem for spiritual reward. So let me make it very clear. There's no way to use Him for spiritual reward, because He's not a vending machine. And it's not like, you know, Torah is the book of, you know, the cheat codes on the video game, how to get a certain amount of points. It's not how it works. In the end, when Hashem gives you reward, it's out of love. It's because He loves you. Not because you push certain buttons and now you're, now He's bound to you to give you a certain result. It's not how it works. In other words, it's not, a, it's not a user relationship and you can't even manipulate it into being a user relationship. I mean, you can fool yourself into thinking that you're using Him and He's using you. He's getting mitzvahs out of you and you're getting uh, schar out of Him. But, you know, you can think whatever you want to think, it doesn't make it so. So in the end, what you do for him, what he does for you, it's not barter. It's not emotional barter or you know, whatever type of user relationship, whatever metaphor you want to use for a user relationship. In the end, you're serving him because you're serving him. And he rewards you because he wants to reward you. Not because uh, you, know, you, you made him indebted to you. Uh-oh, now you owe me. He doesn't owe you nothing. But the fact that he gives to us just shows you how much how much he cares. You know, but it takes a certain maturity, you know. How many people in the you know, in in a marriage they think, well, if I take out the garbage, then that means you have to, you know, cook my favorite meal. Right? Or whatever it is, whatever the economy is, whatever the you know, the exchange rate is. It doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. You act lovingly toward your beloved without any expectation of reward. And then your lover and beloved acts lovingly toward you without any expectations, with no strings attached. Yeah, he's not an ATM machine. That's right. Okay, and that's the sixth thing that we need to do, uh, sixth area of life we need to have a betochen regarding. And now that brings us to the seventh, the seventh area of life. Um, and we're not going to do that tonight because I don't think we have time to go into it, but uh, just to sort of preview or foreshadow, uh, the Neder explains that the sixth group of needs... Sixth area of life is um, the trust that we have in a reward based on our divine service, although disproportionate to our divine service. And the seventh is about an even higher level of reward that's totally just Hashem's grace. You hear what I'm saying? It's like the sixth one is also detached from what we do because ultimately it's like, Completely disproportionate, but at least it's like in the context of us doing something for him. The seventh group, or the seventh area of life, where we have talking and Hashem. That's the that's the spiritual reward. That's that's completely beyond anything we do for him. Meaning, not even not even connected. Okay. All right. Anything else? When Hashem tells you, avich laman yamecha, and you give your parents much covenant, why can't you assume you're being rewarded? Why? Because even if it's true you're being rewarded for it, it doesn't even make sense that that should equal that. It's totally just, you know, it's like somebody saying, you know, work for me all year and I'll give you a salary of a million dollars. Wow, that's very generous, right? But I believe it because I'm working for the guy. Then you know somebody says, um, you know, can you uh, hang up my coat and I'll give you a million dollars? It's totally disproportionate. So let's say I even hang up his coat and the guy gives me a million dollars. And then the next day I see him again and he's like, hang up my coat again. I can't even believe it. Really? A million dollars? Really? Even if he does it every time, each time, I'm like, I can't even believe it. If you believe you are being rewarded for what you do, then you open yourself to punishment. Well, you're gonna. <laughs> I don't think you have to worry that once you believe in reward, now you're gonna open yourself up to punishment, because the punishment's real whether you believe in it or not. I know in Chassidus we don't dwell on the punishment; it's not our, you know, we're not obsessed with it. But punishment's real whether you believe in it or not. So you know. Duh. Don't worry about that. Anything else? Okay.